What's going on, ATL peeps? Welcome to episode 49 of Around the League. In this episode, Tuan and I break down the very, very exciting trade deadline that took place last week. Obviously, we focus on the big one, Ben Simmons for James Harden the most. But there were some nice mini trades as well. We hope you enjoy this pod, episode 50 coming soon, which is crazy to think about. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Episode 49 of Around the League. We hope everyone had an awesome Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day Monday. It's been an action-packed week. The NBA trade deadline is officially over, and there was a ton of movement. We're going to break down most of the trades that went down, and I say most because no one cares that Derek White now plays for the Boston Celtics. But before we get into the weeds, let's check in with our boy, big money maker, Tuan. What's up, my man? Yeah, what's up, Leia? Um, doing well, man. Doing well. Big weekend, of course, with Super Bowl, and you know, spending some some lovely time with the with the girlfriend. So it was a definitely a fun weekend. Uh, got to see our buddy Taylor down uh, by Encinitas, which is uh, a bit north of San Diego. So definitely a very very filled and fun packed weekend for myself. Um, how how are you how are you guys doing? I know you. Um, hosted some people over uh, for the Super Bowl. How did that go? And, uh, you know, do you win any of those uh, little mini games or any bet side bets, uh, prop bets, or, or anything uh, along those lines? Well, I want to ask you about your weekend. But uh, since you asked, I will just say that I did not bet on any NFL prop bets or outcome bets online. We just did like the traditional square game that Justin set up. And uh, I don't know, man, it was a little rigged in my opinion, but uh, I'm not going to show any conspiracies on the podcast. Let's just say that people affiliated with Justin won a lot of money. Um, but other than that, no, we had a nice uh, Super Bowl party, good food. Uh, might have overdone it with the seven large pizzas. Thought people would be a lot more hungry than they were. Um, but other than that, can't complain. It was fun. It was fun. It was intimate. Uh, everyone enjoyed the game. Everyone enjoyed the halftime show. Um, how about you? How was your weekend? Talk about your time with Taylor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Taylor messaged me a few weeks back saying he'd be coming down into Southern California, either LA or somewhere near San Diego. And, you know, I said, Hey, if you're in LA, you can stop by my place anytime. Or if you're near San Diego, we can uh, make a trip down and visit you. So, um, yeah, he went down there to visit uh, a few of his buddies. Um, he was there for like seven or eight days, and we got him on the uh, the tail end of his trip. So the uh, the Friday and Saturday. So um, yeah, we stayed with him at his Airbnb. Honestly, we just went and ate some delicious food. All the like, or it's so it's a very like I wouldn't call it hippie, but it's very like you know health centric. People are very active a lot of meditation, a lot of self-awareness. They even have like a self-awareness like center, which is beautiful by the way. And yeah, we just ate like proper food, um, just chilled by the beach, um, hiked, saw the sunset, saw a bunch of surfers, super relaxing, you know, no, no, no crazy drinking or anything like that. So it was a, it was a nice weekend for the, for the body until, you know, Super Bowl. So had to, uh get some drinks in uh we just kind of stayed uh at the condo because we had like a uh a condo party for all like the new residents 
and it was pretty jam-packed we had like three like massive screens had a bunch of like food vendors um so it was a good time just to meet some some like local residents uh just like yeah meet some people so it was it was a good time there and then yesterday for valentine's day got to uh take judy out to echo park we went like right be uh right up before sunset saw a bunch of people um on that lake and then just went out to dinner by uh by echo park as well or silver lake they're kind of like um bordering i guess neighborhoods a uh, really nice place actually uh called bakari and yeah just had a nice chill chill dinner um what did you and uh shona get up to yesterday uh we went to the keg the one and only keg steakhouse <laughs> and bar uh, um nice. we've just been spending a lot of money recently on like furniture and shit for the house so my parents gave us some gift cards for Christmas and we're like, you know what, we're just going to pull the trigger, uh, have a nice dinner. And it was fantastic. Um, started off with some shrimp cocktail and mushroom Neptune. Shona got the teriyaki sirloin. Um, it was unreal. And then I got the prime rib and we got home with the Billy Miner pie and I lit, we crushed it in bed and I fell asleep soon after. <laughs> hey man, that sounds like a great, great evening. Yeah, no, no complaints at all. It was, uh, it was 10 out of 10. No, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. You know, we usually when trade deadline happens and a lot of, you know, instant reactions, maybe even some like overreaction. So I'm glad that we were able to get, just enjoy the weekend and kind of take in some of the trades that actually happened. And, you know, I, I there's been some guys that played one or two games so far. So uh, it's just kind of nice to, take two, three steps back from the trade and now kind of review and like look at things kind of in a more proper way. So yeah, man, go ahead. Let me know what you're thinking for, for some of these questions and topics. Well, we're going to start by talking about the big one. I think uh, we're going to spend most of our time talking about Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I mean, James Harden and Ben Simmons had their press conferences today. I have yet to watch them, but I'm excited to watch them and I'm excited to watch the reaction from the media heads with regards to uh, with regards to the the press conferences, because from what I've read, they were pretty cryptic. Uh, neither players were really saying much, but also saying a lot without saying a lot. Um, so I'll be interested. There's a lot of drama that's following this this particular trade. But yeah, I mean, let's talk about Ben Simmons and James Harden. Brooklyn sends James Harden, and Paul Millsap to Philly for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond in two first round picks. Uh, Brooklyn gets a massive haul for Harden, who is going to walk away at the beginning of free agency, in my opinion, um, because playing for Brooklyn wasn't necessarily what he signed up for, in my opinion. Uh, Philadelphia gets a superstar beside Joel Embiid, who's playing, as we have talked about so many times, at an all-star or MVP caliber. Uh, And Philly gets to take advantage of their championship window. There's like so many angles that I want to explore with this trade, but I think that Tuan, we should start by talking about it, talking about it objectively from like a basketball perspective. So let's grade the deal from a basketball perspective for each team. And let's start with Philadelphia. So you can go ahead. Oh yeah. So much to, to unpack with, with this, with this whole thing, Uh, not only including the players, again, the drama, um, you know, the, the link, between Harden and Maury and the ownership there. Uh, But for Philadelphia, this is a big, big W. Um, I think Maury got a lot of, you know, 
slack and, you know, well-deserved slack for saying that, you know, hey, I want a top 25, 30 player. I'm going to hold out for the best deal. And a lot of people are saying, man, you kind of, that's that's way behind now. You could have, you should have traded Ben Simmons last season um, for James Harden or tried to. And, you know, fast forward a few months and he still was able to probably get the best deal uh, for a player that hasn't played all season, a player who ended his career with the seven or sixers and probably the most sour note that you can, especially in that Hawk series, a guy that was supposed to be your second best player, you know, this, this young first overall pick coming out of Louisiana. And he just hasn't really meshed well with Joel Embiid. And if you're able to, sure, you're giving up Seth Curry, who's playing spectacular, playing very well. And first round picks in 2022 and 27, which, you know, for, for this year, at least, is going to be, you know, no, no, no closer to than top 25. And sure, you get Andre Drummond, who's been bouncing around the league here and there. We, he, we know he's not uh, a winning player. So um, just for, for the 76ers, man, what, what a haul. I just think that James Harden plays so well um, with this type of player. We've seen him done it with Capella. Um, and this is just Capella on massive steroids. You know, and this Embiid's never played better as a as a primary scorer, so he can kind of take a bit a step back a little bit, and this will help his BMP MVP case. Sorry, uh, just because the 76ers will get better. Hopefully, their record continues to be a top four seed, and if with him being the um, leading point scorer in the NBA at 29 and a half, I think uh, that number is probably going to go down a little bit. But he's going to play less minutes. He's going to not have to. Um, create so much for that team. And now they, they have James Harden, who we forget that this guy averaged 36 points a game like three years ago. And he's been, he's been averaging 10 assists for the last two seasons. So we know he can be the ultimate ISO guy, but we, can, we also know that he can be point guard James Harden, who can dish out assists, who, again, still lacking on defense. But when you have Thibault, when you have Embiid, when you have some of these other guys that can compliment um, James Harden on his, you know, defensive lapses. Um, I, I think this is the perfect fit for them. Uh, Maury came out on top. You know, this is where, this is why he's considered, considered one of the best GMs. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the 76ers, this is a plus all around. I love what, what they did. I, again, I know the James Harden stuff. He's, you know, out of shape um, drama queen, um, all these things that come with it. But if you, even on a down year where he's averaging almost a triple double um, and he's not shooting the three um, very well, kind of up to his up to his career standards. But I think just with the team around him, this is kind of built perfectly for him. He has Maury, he has all the analytics backing him up. And yeah, man, I really like this for the 76ers. Uh, I, I think that they, you know, won this trade a little like, they just got the better end of this trade a little bit just because there's so much uncertainty with Ben Simmons. But again, James Harden, I think will, um, that one, two punch that pick and roll with Embiid is going to be unstoppable. And, um, yeah, if he's staying healthy and if he's able to get back to where he was six, seven months ago, I think this guy, this team will go very far in the conference, uh, Eastern conference. 
Yeah, all fair points. I think it's an A plus for both teams. Uh, and we'll talk about Brooklyn later. I think both teams come out on top. Both teams get stuff that they were necessarily lacking uh, because for Philadelphia, they they filled a huge void that they didn't have for the first half of the season. They didn't have Ben Simmons. And now they have James Harden, which, as you said, a uh, couple years ago, three years ago, averaged 36 points. The only thing I will say about both players who are now going to two different teams is they both have had struggles in the playoffs. If you look at James Harden's playoff statistics, they're kind of misleading. He's averaging like 27, 28 points throughout his you know combined years in the playoffs. But what you need to remember is, and it kind of was a catalyst for why he left Houston, is he was never really able to produce in crunch time. You know, I think for Ben Simmons, and we'll talk about this later, he's going into an environment where in those crunch, crunch time moments, he gets to hide behind Kevin Durant, two-time finals MVP. He gets to hide behind Kyrie Irving, who we all know has been an assassin in, you know, in crunch time and big time playoff games, right? So I think that a lot is going to be said about, you know, sorry, there's going to be a lot for James Harden to prove this, this time around in the playoffs playing alongside Joel Embiid. Um, I think for Philadelphia, it's so, it's so important that they didn't have to give up Max here at um, Now they're loaded with perimeter shooters, which is great for James Harden because, you know, he can penetrate and kick kind of like he did in Houston to PJ Tucker. Um, now he has even more shooters than that. But I think the one concern that I have is that you know, I wonder how he's going to fit with Joel Embiid when Joel Embiid's posting up because Harden sucks at moving without the ball, right? So much of his game is surrounded with him dribbling. Uh, but when, you know, Joel Embiid's most likely going to be MVP this year, he's going to be getting a lot of touches in the post. So my concern is how Harden's going to um, going to play off the ball. The other thing that I'm a little concerned about is and B doesn't really like pick and roll as much. He's more of a face up big. So I don't really see that like lob threat connection that Harden's had with Capella. But uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. Just I have a couple concerns because I don't see them doing pick and roll too much. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and B is definitely more of a like a pick and pop. He's definitely more comfortable probably by the uh, by the wing or just like barely outside of the paint. But I think he has that in his game. He just hasn't had a a shooting point guard to kind of threaten the, the 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 defense a little bit because when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are doing a pick and roll, that's drop coverage for the defense automatically because they're not afraid that uh, Simmons is going to pull pull up from the three or even from a long two. But now they have to really play um, defense. They have to uh, not only contain Embiid on that roll or that pop but they have to flash out to Harden um, or play some other sort of defense that um, will get the ball out of Harden's hand, or he's just going to either do a step back sidestep or, you know, fake you guy out and a little floater up top, or that's a law pass for a dunking and beat. So I think um, Doc Rivers number one priority should really be at, be able to implement that pick and roll because that opens up so much for the other players. So 
when you think of Thibault, who we, you know, he's going to be kind of that prototypical three and D guy who's going to be guarding their best player. But, you know, if you leave him open, he's, he's, he's got to be able to knock that shot down. And I think Ben Simmons not playing this season has been um, a bit of a blessing for Tyrese Maxey, who's kind of having a, um, a, a very, very good sophomore season right now. I think he's averaging like 17, close to like four and five. And he's shooting 30% from the three. So again, he's getting the reps in as the leading point guard, but now he can kind of play a play side uh, to, to James Harden, who again, will control the ball, but if Maxi is able to play off the ball, come off screens and even score as a, you know, another player when he's playing with the bench, I think that's going to be super beneficial to that team. And I think one of the big winners for, for this trade um, that's on the 76ers is Tobias Harris. Again, another guy that hasn't been playing up to par. He signed that close to max contract and a lot of rumors about him being traded to several teams and a lot of buzz there. But I think, again, now he could kind of be that third option. You don't have to worry about being the second option. Uh, you can just kind of play your game, play that high post, you know, make uh, make down or make that uh, the corner three or wherever, just kind of play within your role. And I think he's going to be able to really thrive with, with a Harden-led team as well. So, yeah, so, so much to unpack. But, man, I really like what the 76ers were able to do as a, as a team that were a, bit, were, were a bit handcuffed with, you know, this whole Simmons situation, him kind of um, sitting out and being able to leverage the fact that Harden and Maury had a great relationship. Harden has a player option of like 40-something million dollars at you know, it's so hard to hear someone say that they're going to decline that player option, but he may have just done that. And they had all the leverage they had, which, which is funny because it seemed like they didn't have any leverage whatsoever, but obviously it was enough for uh, the Nets to pull the trigger. And yeah, uh, again, I just, I, I love this trade uh, more so for the 76ers than I do for the Nets. Yeah. You know, the one thing, a bright spot was for Philadelphia is that they developed a really free-flowing offense without Ben Simmons, where guys like Thibel, guys like Maxi, uh, got to be prim primary ball handlers alongside Joel Embiid. And you got to realize when you bring a guy like James Harden, who's so, you know, catastrophic to an offense, um, whether it's positive or negative, like, you know, guys like Tyrese Maxi and Matisse Thibel and um, Tobias Harris, you know, they're going to go three, four or five possessions without touching the ball. So, you know, my concern with this particular year being a championship year for the 76ers, you know, I'm a little skeptical about that because I think that this experiment with the amount of weapons that they have in the two dominant ball, you know, stoppers that they have with Joel Embiid and Harden, like that requires like, that requires training camp. You know, it's not something that you can really just do on the fly, like plugging in Clay Thompson into the Golden State Warriors, you know, for the second half of the season. Sure. It's, he's got so much continuity with that, you know, coaching staff and the players, but a guy like James Harden, who for like six years of his career, an offense flowed through him. And now a guy like Joel Embiid, who's finding his groove for them to mesh immediately I just, I have concerns for this particular year, but if they can get over, if they can get through it, then, you know, with some continuity, you know, there'll be a problem next year. Well, with that being said, why don't we talk about the, the Nets and how 
that like where's the continuity gonna come from with within that team now with a guy that again hasn't played all season um had a disastrous uh playoff run last last year and he's there's still you know some un- uncertainty with his mental health you know valid or not um the everything going on with Kyrie um only being able to allow being played uh being able to play road games um you know again that's all gonna come up again when the playoffs happen but we'll see where the mandates and protocols are for for the state of New York and even you know wherever else but with that team without Katie having um his, his injury and probably not playing for the next few weeks especially not after the uh you know, close to the all-star break. So what's, what's going on with that team now? Obviously they got Seth Curry, who's playing very well. And I feel like he's a, you know, uh, plug and play kind of guy. You don't really have to worry about his role, but Ben Simmons, I'm sure he's been practicing in the gym, working on a shot, but you know, what, what's going to happen when there's no continuity, when he's just playing with Kyrie on road uh, during um, home games or uh, sorry, road games. And, Katie finally comes back, but then there's no, you know, really continuity between the big three because Kyrie's kind of always uh, a question mark there. And then Katie's still, again, he's come off a uh, major, major injury and now he's hurt again. So there's still a lot of question marks there. So that's, that's the only reason I don't like this so much for the Nets. I do like that. They got Ben Simmons. They got other players. They still have some flexibility now with, you know, first round picks um, Andre Drummond will, you know, be able to, um, you know, be that rebounding force that that they probably want instead of like a Nick Claxton or or whoever else was in in, in the mix of center there. Uh, but I don't trust Drummond. You know, I've seen him play everywhere, and he's just he just doesn't get it uh, from the offensive standpoint. So I worry about a little bit worry about him a little bit. Uh, but if Ben Simmons again, if he just plays his role, we know he's an elite defender top two, top three defender within the entire league. So there's there's no doubt that their defense got a lot better when you take um, him com- compare uh, comparing him to James Harden. But yeah, I, I just don't know. It's, he hasn't played uh, the last 50 plus games um, of the regular season. Not sure how his conditioning is. Not sure how his shooting is going to look. We know that he's not a great shooter at all. He's reluctant to shoot. He's a terrible free throw shooter. Um, and he still has, you know, maybe that mental block. So just so many questions with this team. Um, who, who, who would have known that, you know, the, the big three with Harden, uh, Irving and um, Durant would, you know, kind of fall, fall down or, or fall face down like this. It's, it's well, crazy yeah. to think that. You know, I mean, that, that's my biggest what if is I love the trade for Brooklyn. I think it checks off a lot of the boxes that they needed in terms of depth and defense. Uh, but I'm sad that we won't ever see how good this team with Harden, Irving, and Durant could have been. Like a, f- a crazy stat that I found out was they only played 16 regular season games together. 16. They were 13 and three. And there was like some statistic that they were like historical in terms of their offensive production. Um, but 16 regular season games in 18 months is actually insane considering everything that they had to give up in order to give to in order to get Harden like if you knew that this was going to be the outcome would you ever give up Jared Allen you know it's kind of (laughs) it's kind of crazy to think about right because he's such a great player James Harden and 
the three of them together were unstoppable, but at the same time, it never even happened. And so I know hindsight's 2020, but you know, I would have loved to see these guys do damage over a long period of time, but there were so many factors, the vaccination, COVID, it was just a perfect storm that led to this, this outcome. And here we are today, right? I mean, in terms of your questions for Brooklyn and their ability to produce, I don't see them as a contender this season whatsoever. They have way too much looming over their head. There's the Milwaukee Bucks, there's the Miami Heat, there's the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and then I would even put the Chicago Bulls over the Brooklyn Nets right now in terms of their ability to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So, um, yeah, I think for Brooklyn, this is more of a long-term play, but at the same time, they haven't even extended Irving. Um, at the same time, we don't know when Kevin Durant's going to be back. So there's a lot of question marks surrounding this team, surrounding this organization. Um, who's their GM again? I forget his name. Uh, oh, fuck, he's uh, Mark. Not, uh, he's he's a, the, the not Bobby Marks. Not Bobby Marks. No, the other uh, Sean Marks. Sean Marks. Sean Marks. Who did yeah, a yeah. like? Think about Sean Marks has done so much for this franchise in the last like five years, you know, like the Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, uh, D'Angelo Russell, underdog Brooklyn Nets, who were like fringe playoff team. Um, such a bright spot in the NBA. They make these trades for Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. It doesn't work out. Um, I don't even know, you know, I, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's, uh, th th there are so many things that had to happen. Not only, the Kyrie injury and last year's playoffs, KD's foot on the line, uh, now Kyrie's COVID situation, um, them going on like a seven game losing streak before the trade. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they, if they do this move, if they didn't lose seven in a row and they're, you know, KD gets injured, at, you know, during that losing streak and yeah, kind of everything falling apart. You know, they're paying huge luxury money and um yeah man it's it's looking crazy because jared allen got you know got got was a replacement uh in the all-star game and it's funny to see that you know in that Harden trade he was included in houston kind of just it's like a throw packaged him off which man what a what a move by cleveland what a move by cleveland to kind of just sweep swoop in in there and just take jared allen off of houston's hands and this now this guy is an all-star less than a year after that trade. So, um, you know, again, that's going to be another conversation about the Cavs, but um, just this, this trade all around kind of made huge shifts within, within the NBA and it continues to uh, make, make huge moves within just the, the um, time frame within the structure of the, the entire NBA. It's, it's going to shift the whole thing. So it's interesting to see. I think this is definitely a win-win for both teams. Uh, you know, guys just needed different environments, just needed a change of scenery. And, um, you know, unless, you know, more drama happens and more injuries occur, you know, hopefully not, you know, hopefully these players continue to stay healthy and continue to be like physically and mentally capable, uh, just so we can continue to really see how these teams do. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a win-win and both teams really needed to make this trade if they wanted to not only save the season and see what they can get out of it, but for the next two, three seasons, especially with um, James Harden signing that player option um, and then KD being signed for the next three, four years with the Nets. 
Yeah. So I feel like we've gone pretty deep into like the basketball stylistic components of this trade. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to bang out like five questions or five concerns that I have. You let me know if you're concerned. So the first one I have is the James Harden, Joel Embiid chemistry long-term Harden's played with so many superstars. It's always gone South. Philly is a great franchise to play for when things are going good garbage when things are going bad if you're the ben simmons of the uh of the situation um and Embiid's a pretty confrontational dude when he doesn't like his teammates so are you concerned at all about the chemistry i'm not concerned about the chemistry i i think um joel and b will definitely be by far the best big that james harden's ever played with i know he played with dwight howard but dwight was always limited um in his offensive abilities i think these guys will just match up so well um they're gonna fit so it's gonna be the polar opposite of what we saw with ben simmons and joel Embiid. this is going to actually be the perfect fit for for both these guys um not only does james you know again take off that offensive load from joel that he's been having take on all season long but it just complements his game so well he'll be able to get to you know, both of them will get to their positions. I think both of them will uh, complement each other so well. Um, again, they're both kind of guys who are very outspoken, either directly or indirectly. And that's that would only be a concern. But I think Maury kind of being um, the leader on that team, Doc Rivers, I, th- I don't think that we're going to have any issues with, you know, veteran presence, guys who are in the front office that will be able to kind of just navigate through that. Um, yeah, just the situation... Right now, I think, you know, obviously everyone's happy. Everyone is excited to play. We'll see how that goes, you know, for the remaining of the season and for the next few years. But I, I, I don't think there's going to be an issue. I think this is going to be a dream, dream situation for both guys uh, pending any injuries. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Ooh. I just, from a basketball perspective, I just really like these two guys and whatever they could put around them. Um, I, I just, I, I want to see how that goes. Maury to me is a high IQ, low EQ kind of guy. I would never put the words harmonious and culture around Doc Rivers. He couldn't even navigate Lob City when they needed him most. Uh, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul at their prime, DeAndre Jordan. Um, you know, it, there's, there's, it's well documented that he's not the best locker room coach. He's a player's coach. He thinks like a player. Sometimes that hurt, that hurts him. Even the Boston Celtics stuff, like, now they talk about how they have like an alumni group chat that like he spearheaded and now he's like God's gift of culture. So I think that, I mean, look at what he, look what Doc Rivers did throwing Ben Simmons under the bus after that loss to Atlanta. You know, when they asked him if uh, Ben Simmons could ever be the point guard of a championship team, he didn't do, he didn't take the diplomatic approach. He took the player approach. He sewered him just as much as Joel Embiid. So, I mean, I'm a little concerned about that because I think, when things are rosy, they all look fantastic on camera. But I've seen all four of those guys, when the going gets tough, cry, bitch, hide, you name it, right? So I'm a little concerned about the chemistry should the going get tough. Um, the other thing is Joel, Joel Embiid's uh, health. You know, he has a history of injury. The concern I might have is if he were to get injured, and I hope he doesn't because he's having such a great season. Um, how would Harden do carrying the load? Because we saw him over the last three or four months in Brooklyn 
and it's clear that he doesn't want to be Houston James Harden anymore. That's why he signed up for the Brooklyn role in the first place, right? So do you have any concerns about the scenario of Joel Embiid maybe going down and James Harden having to be Houston James Harden for the Philadelphia 76ers? I don't, I, there's no doubt that there's always concerns with Joel Embiid. I don't think that's ever going to go away, especially knowing a guy that you know missed the, the very first two seasons of his career. He's never played more than 64 games. So there's, there's always concerns there. Um, but we, we've seen James Harden really be a one-man show. He, I think he's one of the more versatile guys. Again, we, we, we know him as a phenomenal, effective, efficient um, ISO player who can, if you just put, him, put you know, three, four shooters around him, he's going to make plays. He's going to get you regular season wins. And we know that he's had a reputation of not performing so well in the playoffs. But if you just need James Harden to get you in the playoffs, get you a top four seed in the East uh, without Joel Embiid, I don't think that's an issue. Um, yeah, I, I, I just from what his playing days within within Houston uh, and just what he's shown me as a point guard in uh, with the Nets, um, I don't think that's an issue. But definitely Joel Embiid's um, history or history of injuries. You know, he's he's definitely been more. Um, injury-free or just, yeah, just, uh, yeah, he's just, he's been, he's, he's been pretty healthy. He's been he pretty healthy and I'm glad, I'm glad to see that because, you know, that was definitely the number one thing for him out of coming out of the draft, coming out of Kansas that, you know, this guy um, has injury issues and, you know, we, we saw that early on in his career, but um, I, I just like what I've been, I've been able to see from him. He's definitely um, evolved this game. He's been able to, you know, have that perimeter shot he's been able to you know mix and match low post face up even the occasional three which you don't want to see too much of but um and he's a great free throw shooter so it's just everything is coming you know around for this guy and he, he's he's playing at an mvp level he's probably my mvp at the moment and um if he continues this wins mvp they go into the playoffs with some continuity with some sort of um structure and flow I, I think they they're definitely a threat but yeah uh going back to your question I, I do think Harden is able to lead a team even without Embiid uh for you know some limited times and you know if within uh some games I don't think that's gonna be an issue uh but that definitely need both of them to to have any sort of um really competitive competition within the playoffs there yeah I think one thing Harden has realized um is that he can get you there. He's good in he's good in high usage situations until it's tapped out, right? And I think there'll just be less of those occurrences in Philadelphia playing alongside Joel Embiid. So if they can sustain it, it should work out. Um, the last one I have, and we don't need to get into this too deep because it could honestly go on for like an hour. But does any of this happen if Kyrie's vaccinated? I don't think so. No, me neither. I don't think so. I think they, if the three of them start off the year together, uh, you know, barring any injuries, I like without any injuries, I think they, they you know, they're definitely at top of the, the Eastern Conference. Um, they probably just try to make some moves to get a few more shooters with Joe, Joe Harris being out for, is he out for the entire year? I'm not sure about that, but it, it looks like it. Um, yeah. So they, they would probably just 
find some guy um, off the open market, the buyout market. Uh, and again, just those three, if they were healthy, vaccinated, uh, playing another year together, I, I, yeah, they, they would have been the favorites for sure. Uh, but yeah, man, a lot of things had to happen for this to happen. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it's how things go. 16 games together, like 16 games. That's it. That's, that's actually insane. That's actually crazy. Insane. Um, you know, it's, it is, it is really crazy to think about because, you know, I, I've been critic I've been critical of James Harden. I think the way he approaches his confrontation is just, you know, poor in terms of like, he'll hide from his situations. He'll fake injuries. He'll, he'll give up. Um, it's well-documented, right? He's done it twice. But at the same time, I can't blame him for leaving, you know, because he did not sign up for this. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you can't uh, argue. Kevin Durant got injured. There's nothing you can do about that. That's a part of sports, right? But Kyrie Irving was supposed to be a part of this three-headed monster. And he goes from expecting that and leaving his situation in Houston and it took a lot of guts to leave that situation, right? Like there was a lot of shit that he had to take to leave that franchise. And then he comes to Brooklyn and it's like, you were promised something and you look around and it's completely different. Like, I can't blame this guy for wanting to leave. I would have done the exact same thing. Maybe not in the same fashion because it doesn't look good in terms of his reputation, but I mean, I can't blame him. Sure. Well, he, he, he left a really sour note back in Houston, kind of basically quitting on the team, gaining a few extra pounds there. And then, you know, I don't think he's recovered from, from the, the fees that he had before, before getting traded, but um, yeah, man, it's not a good look. Definitely not for a guy that, you know, should be the face of a franchise, especially in Houston, supposed to be, you know, a big component of that Nets uh, three headed monster. Um, and yeah, this is his third team in the, in the last few months. So not a great look, but if he's able to come in, compete for a championship with his team here, um, you know, the, all the fans, all the people, all the media will soon forget because winning, you know, take care of absolutely everything. So if, that, if that's the case and if they're able to get a title within the next few years, then all will be forgiven and no one will give a shit about all this that happened um, in the last few months. Absolutely. I say we move on. There's going to be so much more to uncover. Uh, these guys are all going to play for their respective teams in the next coming weeks. I don't think Simmons will dress up for Brooklyn on court until he's got either Kyrie or Durant to play alongside because there's just such a magnifying glass on him right now. This guy can't mm -hmm. be bricking shit in his <laughs> debut. <laughs> no, you're right. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, for sure, he has to play with another guy because Again, they're struggling. Man. They're 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 has going to show up, has to show up to the fight with his parents. <laughs> yeah, that team's fell off the cliff a little bit with with since Katie's been hurt. I think they're like one and nine last ten. So if you throw Ben Simmons in there, that's not a good not not a good situation for him whatsoever. So yeah, you're right that they're gonna they're gonna wait for the big brothers to come and and help in the fight there for sure. Yep. Um, let's move on though. Let's jump to another team. I think, I think a good place to start is the Indiana Pacers just because they did a lot of business with a lot of different teams. So maybe we can segue into, uh, Cleveland and Sacramento, but we had a pre 
trade deadline podcast. We were talking about a bunch of other things, but we did talk about the Pacers and predictions from Dayon and myself, and I believe yourself as well, was that they were going to be sellers, you know, and we expected them to get rid of a lot of their talent and maybe, you know, go the tank route and, you know, try to land a high draft pick this season. And they kind of did the opposite. And I was shocked because if you look at who they gave up and who they got, they gave up Sabonis, who I love. They gave up Levert. They got rid of Jeremy Lamb, a 2023 second round draft pick. Um, but they got Halliburton, Heald, Thompson. They got Rubio's contract and a 2023 second round pick. So they still have Miles Turner. They still got Malcolm Brogdon. They still got their rookie. What do you think of the, the state in Indiana right now? Honestly, I love what Indiana is doing um, because because I know you're, I know they're saying Miles Turner is still uh, still there. They, they didn't make a move for uh, they, they didn't make a move to to get him out of the city. Uh, Malcolm Brown is still a very good point guard. Uh, I think they have all of the offseason to make those moves and into next year as well. Um, I, I think just with uh, Turner, he was hurt, so I think there was some some uncertainty. I know the Raptors were in the mix for for his services. I just love what um, they're, they're getting from Tyrese Halliburton. And I, I don't, I, maybe I'm, I'm not a hater, but I just don't think Sabonis is um, a winning player, um, especially with the stats that he, he throws up. I know he's a two-time all-star. I totally get that. But, he, you know, since his time with Indiana kind of being that number one or number uh, two guy alongside Oladipo, they, they've never had great success. You know, they've always flamed out in the playoffs. They, they, they got swept by Boston in the first round, uh, two or three years ago, got swept by Miami, even though he wasn't playing. So I'll give him that. Um, but you know, they bring in a new head coach, um, Nate, Nate Brockton from the Raptors. He's out in the first year. We're, like where I get that it could be just that he wasn't a great head coach, but how do you, as the best player, probably the leader for the team, let a team with that type of roster, that type of, you know, ability really just, you know, flunk that season, basically threw away a season. I get you're, you're an all-star, your team always, you know, the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, but you don't do anything in the playoffs. Um, and again, this year has been a disaster for them, you know, complete disaster. And he's, you know, the best player. And I get they, you know, they're hurt with, um, yeah, with, with, uh, Brogdon with Turner um, with who's the other guy he's been hurt all the last two seasons but he was from Phoenix um, fuck I'm, I'm, I'm blanking out but he's another great player but he's been hurt all season too so I understand that they've been hurt uh, but I've never got a feeling that he's been a you know winning impactful player I feel like he's always been a more empty stats guy that Again, he's not, a, he's not a great shooter. He's not a great three-point shooter. He'll, he'll get, you know, he's a great rebounder, great finisher. Um, he'll get those easy buckets, but he's not, a, a, you know, a, a space space floor, and he's, he's not be able to shoot the three very well. Whereas I think Tyrese Halliburton, a guy, not only one of the best young guards in the NBA, who really plays the right way, and he was really committed to building that foundation for Sacramento. Like, I remember before the trade deadline, they had like him on like ESPN and he was saying like, you know, I want to build 
the, the foundation with the Sacramento Kings. I, I, I know that we haven't won for the last 20 years, but I want to be a part of it. And to, to know that he's a guy that not only had a phenomenal rookie year, especially after, you know, falling in the draft, I believe he was 12th or 13th. A bunch of teams, you know, uh, passed up on him, had a great year. And coming into the sophomore year, another really strong, strong season for him. He's a guy that is shooting. He, he's a guy that's shooting 42% from the three for his career. So he's been averaging almost seven threes a game. So this is not a small sample size here. Even though he has a funky shot, ugly looking shot, um, he's a great shooter. And I know like his first game or second game with the Pacers, he had like 25 and 16 assists. Um, so we, we know his potential there. Again, I, I like what they did because they're kind of taking a step back and they're basically like tanking now a little more. I think with, um, with Sabonis, it would have been tough because, you know, he's going to win you a few more games than Halliburton will. But in the long run, this trade just kind of lets them tank a little bit, get, get a little worse reevaluate in the offseason with Turner, with um, Brogdon, see what you can get back, try to put a team around Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and yeah, man, I, I really, I, I love this kid. I, I think he plays so like the, the right way. He's a, you know how we, we talk about guys who are more like two guards who are looking to score all the time or like true point guards, like a Chris Paul, a guy that can come like, um, navigating, command the floor, and you know, kind of put guys in the right position. I think Ty Tyrese Halliburton is more of like tr traditional point guard. He's not going to always score twenty points on, on a you know uh, night uh, on every night, but he's going to be able to get guys involved. He's going to be able to shoot the shoot the ball well, and you don't have to worry about what he's going to do. You don't have to worry about him shooting two for twelve or two for fifteen. You know, he's always going to be an effective effective shooter. And he's going to get his, his teammates involved. So I like him a lot. I probably like him more than uh, a few other people would. Um, and I'm a little more down on Sabonis than some other people are. I know Kings are playing well. I think they won the first two games with him. And he's playing well with, with Fox and everything. But yeah, sorry, that was, that, that was a little long. But I, I, I really like Ty Tyrese Halliburton. And I like what the King, or sorry, the Pacers did. Even trading Levert away, kind of, you know, opening up more playing time and a bigger role for some of the younger guards and really just saying, Hey guys, we're going to probably flop this season, try to get a high pick and let's work around Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. I don't even know if they're going to flop. I think they're going to like be dumbfounded by how successful they, they end up being once they're at full health. I think for Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton, they both went to greener pastures in their own way. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather be stuck in detention than go play for the Sacramento Kings. But I think for DeMontis Sabonis, he's always played well with really, um, really dynamic guards. And I think one of the shitty bounces that he had in Indiana was that all his guards always got injured. Like Brogdon's had a series of injuries. Oladipo had a series of injuries. The guy that was like dropping 50 in the bubble. I can't even remember his yeah, name. Yeah, sorry. That's who, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. But I couldn't forget he gets, his name. He gets, he gets um, plagued with injuries. So I think there's just always been a really tough environment around Sabonis. I'm not trying to bail him out, but I think he's extremely talented. I would have liked to see him go to a contender. Um, and obviously, I would love to see him and a guy like Hal Burton actually play together. Because I think you nailed it. I think Hal Burton is 
a pillar on a contender for any team. You know, he would be the pillar. He'd be the absolute, he'd be spearheading the offense for any contender. I think he's capable of doing that. And I think that playing alongside De'Aaron Fox was just a terrible fit. You know, I, I find De'Aaron Fox very Westbrook-y at times where everything has to go through him to his detriment. Um, and there's a stat here I saw on the ringer where they were saying that without De'Aaron Fox for 12 games, he was averaging 19.2 points a game on 46, 39, and 87 shooting splits, 10 assists, four rebounds, and two steals. Like, that's insane, you know? <laughs> and I don't know how, uh, how the Pacers landed this guy, but I feel like he's going to be the point guard of that franchise for a really long time. And the one thing that you mentioned that I think you're absolutely right on is they took a little step back, I think, with Rubio's expiring contract, Buddy Heald's expiring contract, they just have so much flexibility. Like if this thing works out, sure, we'll just add a few pieces, keep Miles Turner and make this thing work. And we'll continue to be like a four or five or six seed in the Eastern Conference, or at least try to be. Or if it doesn't work, we have all this flexibility to change directions. So I think big, I think the Pacers surprisingly were big winners in the trade deadline. Yeah, the who the the player we're talking about is TJ Warren. I couldn't get the name off my top of my head, but TJ Warren, yeah, again, a guy that basically they got for free from the Suns and had a great bubble, and he just got hurt um, shortly after that. And you know, another young team that has Chris Duarte. Again, he he's a he was a four year player at Oregon, and he's been playing exceptionally well. I got to see him twice um, when he was playing against the Lakers and the Clippers, and he's a stud. He's a not like a stud stud, not like a all star potential, but he's going to be a a uh, guy that's going to be in the league for 10 plus years because he just has the fundamentals and he just plays very well. And let's not forget about Misaga's very own O'Shea Brissett here, you know, a former Raptor. He's He's been playing well. So um, I, I like what they've done. They even picked up Jalen Smith, I believe, for Torrey Craig from the Suns. And Jalen Smith was a top 10 pick in the in last year's or two years ago in the same draft as, as, um, as Halliburton. He was uh, picked ahead of him. So... Uh, he, he's like a power forward slash center who I believe he was from Maryland. Uh, and he, again, he's like a stretch, stretch, uh, big who, who can shoot, uh, and super athletic and super young. Uh, so yeah, interesting. They have really, they have nice pieces now, you know, they have nice pieces and, um, obviously not contending anytime soon, I don't think, but it's, it's better than what they had, um, two weeks ago. Yep. They definitely got a lease on life and a ton of flexibility for the future, which is really nice. Um, if you had the job of defending Sacramento in court, <laughs> how slash could you even do it? Oh, man, it's tough, honestly, because... Why the, the fuck would you trade Halliburton? Yeah, there. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's moves before this one that led to this trade. It's the move of not picking Luca over Bagley. It's the move by signing Fox to, I think it was close to the max. So he's making a shitload of money as a non-shooting point guard, which doesn't make sense in the league anymore. And now who really wants a, you know, max or almost max point guard uh, who can't shoot on their team. So they had to make a move that their, their best trading asset was Tyrese Halliburton, 
even though a lot of people thought, you know, this guy definitely not going to be moved because of the potential he has, but I think they just needed to mix it up. Uh, and I don't think they mixed it up in the right way. I think they, they probably in a worse position now because they have kind of two, you know, borderline all-stars because the Sabonis is an all-star. He was an all-star Fox, you know, still very young. Let's, let's not, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we're quitting on him, but cause he still scores a lot of points, but his game just doesn't work within the team environment. If you want to be a successful team, we've seen, we haven't seen him lead that team anywhere basically. And when they were without him, like you said, like you pointed out that Tyrese plays so well and you know, they're, they're, they're winning more games with him than, than without him. So um, yeah, man, it's just moves that they, that, 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 that are still haunting them. You know, if they have Luka Doncic, this franchise is in another direction. Um, and yeah, they would and have figured out we, we talk, we talk about, we talk about them in a totally different light and Bakley isn't traded for scraps to, to the Pistons only three, four years after the, after the draft. So uh, uh, this, this move is just, yeah, the um, consequences of previous moves and yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it didn't move the needle for them whatsoever. I don't think they're going to still probably sure they could make the, the play-in game, I guess in lose and be the 10th seed in the West. Sure. I don't know what, what that does for your franchise. You, you haven't done anything. You've been like this for the last 20 years since the Peja, since the Divas era. And um, it's just not looking good for them. They're just probably trying to win as many games as possible and then try to figure out what the fuck to do um, in the next few years. But they're probably the franchise that you do not want to be. They're probably the bottom feeder in terms of, yeah, obviously they're going to win some games, but they're the team that you don't really want to be. They're the ultimate treadmill team that will continue to get the 12th, 13th, 14th pick in the draft and not be able to hit on any guys unless they hit on a Ty Tyrese Halliburton, but they trade for him anyway. So I don't know what the, like, what are you, what are you saying? So yeah, they lucked out on Halliburton, but they just trade him a year after. So um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that's, that's my rant. I, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, Another bright spot you gotta remember is the Pacers are coached by Carlisle, who is such a phenomenal coach at getting the most out of not the best rosters. And now he's got two fantastic point guards running his offense. Um, they got a pretty complete team. I think, I think, I think Carlisle is gonna get a lot out of Indiana. Um, but yeah, I don't know what uh, I don't know what Sacramento is doing. You mentioned Luka Doncic, which is a perfect segue to start talking about. The Dallas Mavericks, another team where beside them, I wrote, what the F are they doing? Because I really don't know how to wrap my head mm -hmm. around getting rid of Kristaps Porzingis mid-season. Like I get offloading the shitty contract, but then you bring in Bertans and Dinwiddie who are also on shitty contracts. Um, the only thing that I could come to terms with was maybe because of the Hardaway injury for the rest of the season. They just wanted to rip the Band-Aid and offload Chris Stapps because they knew that they weren't going to go deep in the playoffs this year. Uh, but what are your thoughts? Like, what does this mean for the Mavs? Sorry, quick question. Um, is Hardaway out for the season? I believe so. I believe Really? His, yeah, his knee injury against Golden State, I want to say. Um, I don't think he's coming back. Oh, shit, okay. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't know that. But I don't think um, that... 
that should have affected the trade. But yeah, I have here um, that I think both teams took an L here. It's like the reverse of the, the Philly and Brooklyn trade. Because when I'm looking at what the Mavs got back, they got Spencer Didwitty, who is playing Sucks. horrendous this year. Davis Bertans is probably one of the worst players in the entire league now. Worst contract. And he's probably the worst contract, right? He he signed the five-year, $80 million contract. And he had one, one really good year where he shot like 40-ish, you know, so like a mid-40, 3, 44% on like high attempts, uh, either with the Spurs or the, with, or the first year with the Wizards and got that huge contract. But this year, he's averaging six points. I think he's been hurt all, like for the majority of the year, but from the, the short amount of time he's been playing, he's shooting 35% from the field, 32% from the three. So this guy was supposed to be a three-point specialist, but he's below the NBA average at that. And yeah, again, Dinwiddie is... Shooting thirty-seven percent from the field, thirty-one from the three-point line. So that's I. I have here in my notes. I just have LOL for Spencer Dinwiddie because that that's horrendous, especially for for the team that started off so hot. They've fallen off a cliff as well. So for them to take on Kristaps, I I kind of get it because they want to put another big piece around Beal. It sounds you know from all indication that Beal will sign that max contract with them. Um, he, he, yeah, well, unfortunately for them, he, he's out for the season. So probably no, you know, no realistic trades could have happened this off season, but they're probably going to look to, you know, lock him up, put another, you know, sure. A big name around him. I'm not sure if, you know, the, the one thing with Chris Tapps is when he's playing, he's playing well, but you, you just don't know when he's going to get hurt. We, we, we saw that, you know, in the playoff run with the Mavs, when they're playing the Clippers, you know, he's just hurt all the time and yeah he's just he's not playing well this year at all I got to see him play the Clippers um in LA and I, I've seen I've seen some of their other games too um just trying to you know get a glimpse of Luca and this guy does not post up and if he does it's not a hook shot it's not you know a uh post move it's going to be a fadeaway baseline or a tough tough shot um in the paint so he doesn't really utilize his height to his advantage. Uh, a 7-2, center who is only averaging, what, like seven or eight rebounds a game. Uh, he's supposed to be a guy that's super agile, a guy that can really protect the paint, but the the Mavs are not a great defensive team with him on the floor. Um, and I think, you know, he was just upset that he had to play with Luka, a guy that is going to be ball dominant, a guy that you're not going to get a lot of attempts, a lot of shots, and you have to kind of be um, contained to be a, a role player or, you know, a, a, a sidekick to, to Luca. And I don't think he wanted to do that. Um, I'm kind of down, uh, like dumbfounded because I thought that Chris Stapps had like a longer contract than both Dinwiddie and Bertans. And I thought that's why the Mavs made the trade so they can get out of his contract and kind of have more flexibility and maneuvering um, with them out of the out of the picture, but it seems like um, Dinwiddie has the same uh, like they have Dinwiddie and Porzingis have two more years after this one, and Bertans has three, so that, so the Mavs actually took on more uh, an equal and a longer contract, which doesn't make sense to me because both the guys that they took on are trash. 
sorry, like they're just terrible. They're not good NBA players, uh, to be brutally honest. And I don't get it. I, I don't know. Like Spencer doing what he probably needs the ball in his hands to be anywhere close to the player that he was with the Nets. And he's not going to be able to do that with Luca dominating and probably holding the ball 80% of the time. So, and sure, Bertans might be able to get back to, you know, his, his old form shooting, uh, you know, close to 40% at, you know, a high clip, but I don't know. He's been hurt. He's been hurt all year. He's been hurt last year and just haven't been the same guy that, that he was before he signed that massive contract. So I think a big L for both teams here. I don't know um, what, what, what both teams are doing. You know, the Wizards, again, are kind of at the, at the mercy of Beal right now. Um, and I don't see that, you know, having a happy ending. Uh, eventually, Beal will get traded. I just don't think they can put a winning team around him, especially with the contracts that they're, that they're taking on. And then the Mavs, yeah, I, 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 I was hoping that they it made some sort of financial sense or, you know, some like style of play or uh, fit, but it doesn't make sense to me either. So, you know, please, you know, uh, enlighten me with why this trade made sense for any team or who won or what. I, I'm, I'm a little confused. It's probably the most confusing trade. You know, it was one of the trades that kind of happened close to the end of the deadline. So I don't know, it's still a few days uh, from that trade and I still really don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, I don't know what's going on either, to be honest. I'm more surprised that, the Mavs didn't try to make one last playoff push. Like, sure, you know that the future of your franchise isn't Chris Stapps and Doncic, but at least try to make another playoff push. Like, I don't know. Like, they're fifth right now in the West, I believe. And with this particular cast of characters, I I could see them in the playoff play-in tournament and maybe not making the playoffs this year. And I think a more long-term more concerning question I have it's it's two part one is are the Mavericks competent enough to handle this generational talent that they have in their hands because you don't need a 1a with Luka Doncic in fact I don't even know if a 1a 1b situation would actually work given the way that he plays and his usage usage rate I mean we spent all this time talking about James Harden Luka is actually very similar to James in terms of his ball dominance and how everything has to flow through him. My other concern is, yeah, like, can, can Luca even be compatible with another superstar? Like what other superstar would want to go to the Mavericks knowing that they're not going to really touch the ball. I feel like what you need to do is surround him with, you know, Kuzma's and Caruso's and, and guys that can just sort of spot up and be okay with not touching the ball for maybe four or five possessions. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know how the Mavericks get there. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, it's been a few years of now just meddling with, with, with this generational talent. Again, it's, it's definitely not an easy job. You're, you're, you're trying to get guys with huge egos, with huge paychecks, huge salaries to kind of play a role that, they, you know, they've never been able to play. They've always been the number one guy in high school. They've been the number one guy on their college teams. And you're really asking them to take a huge, huge, um, you know, a, a declining role in, in, in the way that they play and the style that they want to play. And you're going to give all the praise and all the money and all that accolades to this one player. So it's tough. 
it's tough. And um, I, I think you have to kind of take the playbook out of what Cleveland did with LeBron and just put shooters around him. Um, and, you know, the, that star has to be some sort of shooter, some sort of guy that can um, also be, you know, a playmaker and a guy that um, can, you know, create his own shot, but a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands to, to be effective, like a, a Clay Thompson, where however you get that, or just a similar player where, you know, you're going to be able to consistently depend on that person or that player to, you know, contribute um, every single night. And we saw a little bit of that with Tim Hardaway, still a little bit inconsistent. Dorian Finney-Smith, um, they're more, he's more of the defensive-minded player on that team. Jalen Brunson, again, a, a, a surprise for them, a, like a, a player who I think resembles a little bit of Freddie Van Vliet, that, you know, undersized guard who really controls the floor and, you know, really getting into his own. So um, big offseason for him and what, what they do with him because he's probably going to get a big Freddie Van Vliet-like contract, four years, 60, 70, 80 million dollars, depending what the market dictates. But yeah, they, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Um, just another dumbfounded move. I don't know what more to say. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of just left speechless now after after really examining and looking at the financials. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, are there any other trades or teams that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I'm, when I was looking down, like, I know you were joking about like the Celtics getting Derek white, but that was, that was a pretty, like a lot of, a lot, lot to give up from the Celtics to get Derek white. Yeah. Again, I know he's a, he's a decent player who super versatile. He can play a bit of point guard can play a, like the guard position, but also he's a, he's a bigger guard, but giving up, I know Josh Richardson who was traded for Seth Curry. So obviously had some value there. He was playing decently for the, for the Celtics. Romeo Langford, a former first-round pick, and they traded a 2022 first-round pick and a 2028 first-round pick swap. So they gave up a lot for, you know, a guy that may incrementally make them a little better, but I'm not sure how much better he makes them. But I think it's a good piece that, that, that they got. I think the big loser from, like, a player's perspective was uh, Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> He's, uh, he's traded to the Rockets in that Daniel Tice trade. Um, and a guy a, a year removed from basically a championship with the Lakers, declining that big contract. And now he's on his third team in the last few months as well. So, um, yeah, tough, tough goal for him. I don't know how he's going to perform with the Rockets and how things are going to go for them. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is, you know, former Raptors, Serge Ibaka in that, in that big trade. Not big, but just like, a lot of players in that trade. I think there's like almost 10 different players in that trade uh, that, you know, had DiVincenzo, Lyles, Hood, uh, and a lot of like second round picks in there. But the Bucks getting Serge Ibaka, even though he's gone, he's definitely at the tail end of his career. I think he's um, going to be a great big for them, either as a starting four or as a backup, as a third big off the bench. Um, well, they, yeah. He, he yeah, will be huge for them. I think a, another, another underrated pickup uh, I don't think they gave up much or they gave up DiVincenzo who has played well, but getting that third bag or, you know, that, that, that other bag to, to uh, compliment Giannis, I think will be huge. His kind of just um, energy, his, you know, his enforcement type play. He's not going to take any shit. He'll, he'll back up Giannis and he'll give that team a little bit more attitude. 
Um, I, I like I like him there, and um, yeah, good good on the Bucks for getting uh, under under the radar type of move, and I think he's gonna be impactful for them in the playoffs. Well, yeah, I mean he's gonna get all those Brook Lopez looks, right? He's gonna get yeah. all those open threes. He can hit those, no problem. He's mm-hmm. not gonna have to take on such a defensive load because Giannis is friggin' defensive player every single year if he wants to be. Yeah. Um, so it's great. I think it's kind of a situational role for Serge given his age and stage and coming off the back injury that he came off, came off of. Um, he doesn't have to work so hard. He's just in a very good cushy situation right now. That's all you can ask for, um, for, for a future, for a former champ who did so much for us. It's good yes, to serve that position. Yes, sir. I mean, the one thing I do want to quickly talk about is just the Lakers, the inactivity. And I'm just kind of surprised that, they didn't mortgage their future for some shitty picks in order to maybe get them over the hump for the remainder of the season. It was kind of cool to see them stand their ground. Um, I was listening to Ramona Shelburne. I don't know if the article that she put out has been released yet, but she's got something on the Lakers coming out. That's supposed to be pretty juicy. And there's definitely well-documented dysfunction. Even since the last time that we spoke on this pod, um, Guys are, guys are unhappy. LeBron is just flat out saying that they're not good enough compared to their counterparts. And they didn't do anything at the trade deadline to fix their situation. But I think the only thing they could have done is maybe attach Taylor to Horton Tucker to some picks, but they didn't do it. And it kind of shows competency. I'm kind of like, wow, they didn't actually give up these future picks. You know, LeBron and AD, who knows how long they're going to uh, going to be playing for right so or for the Lakers so f- for the fact the fact that they didn't give up you know 2023 2024 2025 shows that they're keeping an eye on their future at least you know and maintaining a little bit of flexibility yeah I think well we'll, we'll, we'll see um that this just they're they're a terrible team right now um they're kind of out of all out of sorts with with the Westbrook in the picture I think they're going to do everything they can in the off season. And I think it sucks because it might be just a wasted year of another spectacular production from LeBron. I think AD getting back into it again, anything can happen, but just from, you know, the early 50 games this season, they are definitely not a contender um, in, in the West. Uh, if they have to play a top three, top four team in the West, um, they have to see Utah, they have to see Phoenix, um, it's a. Uh, it's not. It's not going to be good for them. Uh, maybe if they see the Grizzlies, an uh, inexperienced team, uh, then maybe they can get lucky there and you know just take advantage of that. But it does not look good, especially um, if they, you know, can't even get a top six seed and they have to play in a game or have a playing game um, like last season. And then uh, again this season, it really depends on the health of AD and LeBron and the rest of the team. But they just don't have a great roster around those guys. And AD just doesn't look like the player he was when they want the championship in the bubble. Um, you know, there's no question about LeBron, the most consistent player in the league uh, every year for the last 17 years. So, um, yeah, man, there's just too much drama with Westbrook. He just doesn't fit with whatever they're trying to do here. And, um, yeah, we'll see where they flame out, when they flame out. But I think there's no question that they will. Uh, I think just just the roster and they, you, and you're depending too much on, you know, Stanley Johnson, you're sp- too much on uh, Reeves, you're, you know, too, too much on Malik Monk. It's just, 
yeah, you, you, you traded all of your dependable role players away for a guy that, you know, makes your team worse. It's just that move again. It's just, it's just hard to get back on track and get back on what you really want to do when you make a blunder of that um, magnitude of, of that, of that, just the consequences of that move are just trickling down. And it's evident every single game that Westbrook could not play with these guys. And I think, you know, I, I think just as a, as a fan and you watch it and you're like, man, no, like they, 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 they these guys are all superstars. They, un, they understand, understand the game at such a high level that there, there's no way they can fail. Uh, like that, you know, you try to talk yourself into it because like, how does that move make any sense when, you know, LeBron James needs shooters all around him. AD's not a great three point shooter. Why the hell would you bring in a ball dominant guy that is probably the worst volume three point shooter of all time. And, you know, it, it makes no sense. And you're trading away guys. Again, we always talk about KCP, Harold, um, Kuzma and losing Crusoe and, all these things and KHT is not playing up to his standard. So I get it. Sure. They didn't make a move, but I think they just kind of figured, Hey, this is, this is probably a lost season for them. And uh, let's figure out what to do in the, in the off season. If we can lure in another star using the, you know, the aura of LA, you know, using the, the pedigree and the um, all, all, all the things that come with moving to LA and, you know, hopefully they, you know, go through that route because we know they're not going to, you know, develop the players. They're not going to draft. Well, they're just going to use what they have as the attraction of LA and see what they can do um, in the off season. Yeah. I think it's just a lesson too, you know, not just LeBron, but superstars. It's well-documented that they get to put their fingerprints on the roster. Right. And, you know, coming into this season, it was well-documented that this is the bed that LeBron and AD made you know, bringing in Carmelo, bringing in Westbrook, bringing in all these future Hall of Famers. Um, and it's just way too past their prime. And this is, they got rid of all their championship depth from 2020 in order to assemble this team. And it's gone south, unfortunately. Um, and it's just a lesson that, you know, leave the front office moves to the front office. You know, I think it's just a good example of, why superstars shouldn't meddle in, in roster configuration. And I hope, I hope they just learn from it because, you know, we talk about player empowerment a lot on this podcast, and this is an example of, you know, those privileges biting you in the ass. For sure. For sure. Just funny thing I saw on Instagram, um, August 14th, 2021 work with Brody. I agree. I don't think this will work. LeBron posting LeBron posting a workout with Westbrook I agree I don't think this will work (laughs) yeah well yeah definitely yeah it definitely didn't (laughs) um but hey it was it was cool breaking down uh it was cool breaking down these these trade deadline moves with you um we didn't talk about the Raptors obviously we finally got rid of Goran Dragic Thaddeus Young I mean anything would have been better than an inactive player so I can't even be mad. Glad we didn't get Chris Tapp's Porzingis like it was documented. Glad we didn't get Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, I think that young kind of fits with what they want to do in terms of just having a lot of lengthy dudes who kind of play like three, four different positions, guard, 
um, every every spot. And um, yeah, he's just another player that we add to our minimal depth. And definitely will help the team uh, one way or another, especially with his veteran presence, a guy that sure has been bounced around the league a little bit, but still a very um, just overall good player. Uh, just will be interesting to see how he fits within the team. But yeah, um, glad to get off of Dragic and kind of get away from that situation and see what um, Thaddeus Young can add to the team. I know he's he's always been a player I've been interested in for the Raptors for like the last like 10 years. But, you know, he's always bounce around the Nets, the Pacers. Um, yeah, now the Spurs, like Chicago. Uh, so, yeah, man, he's uh, he's definitely a fascinating player. He's kind of like that, like, jack-of-all-trades type player. He does everything good, doesn't do anything well. So we'll see how he fits with the team. Yeah, I think it's more of a locker room play. He'll st- he'll he'll show out for us a few, a few games here and there. But um, I think, you know, never expect much from Masai and Bobby in the trade deadline. I don't think they ever like to be in situations where their hands are forced. I think they always like to approach things with the long-term view, flexibility. So that's what we do, right? We maintain flexibility. And uh, I mean, we just got to let this team roll. They've been, they've been proving the doubters wrong. So they deserve the opportunity to uh, let this one right out. Yeah, exactly. You just have to let them. Yeah, exactly. They, that's exactly it. They, they, they have a solid, solid five starters and yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe just evaluate how this postseason goes. If, if they get a high seed or, you know, if they fall back into the, the play in situation, but I think they, there's a great foundation for this team right now. And it's just maybe one or two moves that might be able to make them into a contender. And uh, I think that, that, that happens in the off season and ha- happens later in the uh, later tail end of next season as well. Yes, sir. Well, I'm looking forward to second half of the season. You and I will continue to stay in touch, uh, break down the events that are ahead of us. I'm excited to man that, that Brooklyn Philly rivalry. You can definitely call it a rivalry. Now it's going to be, man, get out the popcorn. It's going to be, it's going to be very exciting. I can't wait to break down those games. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, man. Great pod. We are on number 50 next week for, or whenever we do the pod. So nice little milestone for us to, to celebrate. So let's, uh, let's put a episode, like a great episode for that one. But, um, yeah, man, thanks for hosting this one. This was a great episode, just a fun one to always go through every season, especially after the deadline and, you know, seeing what the rosters look like going to uh, a deep playoff run for some of these teams. So yeah, man, good job today. All right, man, you two will be in touch. Um, yeah, thanks to everyone that's listening. As always, Juan will talk to you. Yes, sir. All right.